right. So, uh, what I want to talk about today um, is not a gentle word. It's not going to be a gentle word. And uh, I think that there's moments in church where we have to call people higher. Simple as that. So that's what I'm going to do today. It might sting, but who knows surgery hurts. Amen. So let's go into it. One of the things that I see as just a danger in our age is the gospel of self. Right, this gospel has led us to elevating our feelings over truth. It's made church more about us and our preferences rather than his and his desires. It's made obedience a negative word rather than a joyful duty. And so today, I want to slay this beast in our church. And I want you to hear my heart when I say this. I don't, I don't mean, you know, you can't love yourself and you can't take care of yourself and, you know, you can't have massages once a month, which I do. Shout out Jess. Right? It doesn't mean that you can't take care of yourself and love yourself. That's biblical. But there's this thing where we've made this gospel with us at the center. I mean, just take a moment and look at our churches. What, what gets the most attention? What, gives, what gets the most priority? Right? This is why we have 15-minute worship sets, because we don't want people to get bored. But it's the one thing that's actually for him. He knows everything I'm about to preach. He's the one that gave it. And so we, we've seen this, 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 gospel trickle in whether we realize it or not, right? There's this term called humanism. Do you guys know what that is? Humanism is the belief that humanity is capable of morality and self-fulfillment without relying on God. And at the heart of humanism is that God has been removed from the center of life. He's no longer truly worshiped and man has assumed his place. Webster Dictionary defines humanism as a contemporary belief calling itself religious, but substituting faith in man for faith in God. Whether you realize or not, this mindset has entered the church. (laughs) This isn't a new thing. We see the Pharisees actually operate in this way. This was the fault of the Pharisees, is that they thought they were capable of morality apart from God. Right, they put their focus so much on self that they literally missed the Messiah walking in front of them. So I want you to hear this. This isn't like some 2023 like culture war that were happening. Right? This is a spiritual thing. And if you allow this thing to infect you in a sense, you will literally miss what God is doing right in front of you because you're too focused on yourself. Right, Mark 8, 15, Jesus literally says this as they're crossing the lake. Jesus warned his disciples, watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. Right, yeast is generally spoken of in the Bible in a negative way. When used in cooking, a, just a small amount, listen to this, just a small amount of yeast can penetrate the whole dough. And once in the dough, it cannot be removed. 
Jesus was warning the disciples not to adopt the teachings, the mindsets of the Pharisees and their self-righteousness. And so the gospel of Jesus simply cannot coexist with the gospel of self. Why that is, is because the gospel of Jesus actually calls us to deny self. (laughs) Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he says this quote, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. No amens. We'll get there. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. All right, Mark 10. That sounds super intense. Mark 10, 17 to 22. You guys okay? Mark 10, 17 to 22. I want you guys to see this. This is the story of the rich young ruler, which we know. And it starts out like this. It says, as Jesus was starting... Out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him and knelt down. I want you to pay attention to the details. A man came running up to him and knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat. Anyone, honor your father and your mother. Teacher, the man replied, I have obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. And that's so interesting. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Jesus says, is there still one thing you haven't done? He told him, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At, the man's, at that moment, this man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. All right, there's a lot going on here, okay? So at the beginning, this is really interesting. This man is running to Jesus. He, he comes up to him. He kneels down. This is important. The word worship literally translates as to bow down and kiss. So this man actually came in a posture of worship. So you would think, okay, this is good, right? And he asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And what's interesting is that we see his posture of worship was to get something. How often do we do that? I'm going to worship to get something. Then begs the question, is it actually worship? All right, I'll keep going. So what happens here, Jesus is elevating the law, okay? And he's showing the man that his obedience actually has limits. He elevates the law. Don't murder, honor your parents, don't lie, all these things. And the man's like, I've done all that since I was young. I've, I've obeyed all of the things that I had to do, right, to be right with God. I've done it since I was young. And Jesus here, he, he's not showing us that you have to do things to be saved, but he's revealing the guy's heart. He's like, your obedience actually has limits. 
There's a moment where you're willing to obey, but then there's actually a line that you draw where you stop obeying. So it's not about the possessions. It's not about God's like, hey, you need to prove yourself to me. (laughs) But what he's doing is he's proving to the man where his heart is actually at. Saying, if you want to follow me, you can't have one foot in and one foot out. You can't say you will obey me and stop at a certain line because it requires you to deny yourself. Right, what is the greatest commandment according to Jesus? Someone, love God, right? The greatest, the first and greatest command is to love the Lord your God. And this man's inability to let go of this one thing reveals what he loved more. What you're not willing to give up reveals what you love more. Right, John 14, verse 15 says, if you love me, keep my commands. Right, so Jesus, guys, he's not after your things, he's after you. Nick Ripkin, he says, he says, it's simply a matter of obedience. If he is our Lord, then we will obey. If we do not obey, then he's not our Lord. And I want you guys to hear my heart. I'm not trying to push us into this like religious striving thing. That's the thing that we're trying to get away from. But I think we've made the cost of following Jesus way too cheap. We've made the cost, because salvation is free, 100%. But following Jesus, discipleship, obedience is very, very costly. This is why this man turned away. He was sad because he realized, wait, my possessions are way more valuable than eternal life. That's a reality check. Why gain the whole world but lose your soul? So I want us to see this, guys, that following Jesus is so costly. I want you to hear this. It's very important. Following Jesus is so costly not because we have to earn him, but because if you actually know him, you'll discover how worthy he is of everything. Why it's so costly to actually follow and obey isn't because you're trying to earn something, but it's if you actually know him. All the married people in the room, you know, when you're married, there's certain things you have to give up. That when you actually know him, right, you can't play Xbox 10 hours a day anymore right? Once you actually know him, you will discover how worthy he is of everything. Not some things, not just the easy things, but everything. Right? Colossians 1, 17 to 19, love this verse. It says that he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is at the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, right? The word preeminence is the fact of surpassing all others or superiority. That he surpasses all others. Jesus doesn't 
earn second place in your value system, in your priorities. That he is before all things and in him all things hold together. John 17 verse 3 says this. So Jesus brings back that question about eternal life. (laughs) He says this, this is the way to have eternal life. Okay, remember, rich young ruler came, hey, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus reveals his heart. And he says this in John 17, verse three, this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. Because if you actually know him, you will discover how worthy he is of everything. Right? Eternity isn't something you have to earn. It's a person you have to know. The more you get to know this person, the more you realize he actually requires of you. The more you get to know this person, the more you realize he actually requires of you. Why? Because it's a relationship. We, we almost use that phrase as like a get out of jail free card. We're like, it's just a relationship. It's not a religion. I'll just, you know, he'll forgive me eventually. I'm going to make it to heaven. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a relationship. It's not religion. A relationship actually requires more than a religion because it's a person. That eternal life isn't a destination. It's knowing him. So going back to the idea of humanism, right? We've made church about us. <laughs> We've made our purpose about us. We've made success about us. We've made our comfort about us. But what if all of those could be simply boiled down? All those desires and longings could all simply be melted in a pot and boiled down into one thing, and it's knowing him. What if that that longing for success and that longing for, 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 for being seen and known and, and the longing for, for stability and the longing for comfort and the longing for relationship, what if all of those things are just branches? They're not actually the root, which they're not. But what if all those can actually be boiled down and satisfied and fulfilled in one thing, and it's knowing him. And knowing him is in a moment because it's a relationship, right? One of the reasons we made service longer and remove the service is because relationships take time. You can't rush a relationship. Can I talk about the fear of the Lord for a second? I was going to preach on that today. But I don't know if we were ready for it. So I'm going to preach it later, but I want to touch on this because it's important. Simply the fear of the Lord is to know what God likes and what he doesn't like. The fear of the Lord is to know what God likes and what God doesn't like. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Can I give you guys a really good interpretation of that? If you do dumb things, you lack the fear of the Lord. 
If you constantly make dumb decisions, you probably lack the fear of the Lord. Why? Because the fear of the Lord is to know what he likes and what he doesn't like. I heard someone explain it in this way that I thought was so good. It's almost like you're, you're, you're driving on this road and there's two gutters, right? There's two when you're on the road. There's usually two gutters on each side. One side is legalism. That I have to, to work my way to be right with God. I have to, to do things to, to be right with God. And we've almost, for whatever reason, we've made fear of the Lord that. Where it's like, I don't want to do anything because I don't make God afraid. Or, or I don't want to make God disappointed. And I don't want to be afraid you know, of God's punishment, which is not what the fear of the Lord is, by the way. So at one gutter is legalism, striving, man being the center. And then the other side is the same thing, but it looks different. It's complacency. It's apathy. It's still man-focused, but has a different posture. So on each side of the road, there's two gutters. The fear of the Lord keeps us from getting off into one or the other. The fear of the Lord keeps us in this place where we're not going to strive because we know we've been made righteous through the blood. But we also know that he's so worthy that we're not going to fall into complacency and do our own thing. The fear of the Lord is what allows us to walk with Jesus as the center, not us. Philippians 3, 7 to 8 says this, but whatever were gains to me, this is Paul, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, my Lord. There it is again. Consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, my Lord, that Paul figured out with a rich young ruler, couldn't. For whose sake I have lost everything. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Like I said earlier, we've made the price of following Jesus way too cheap. Billy Graham, he said this at the end of his life. We all know Billy Graham. Led millions and millions of people to the Lord. Maybe billions. At the end of his life, he had an interview. And he said this line that literally like, Stab me, right? Right to the core. He says this, I fear that I've made way too many converts and not enough disciples. And I fear that we've done the same thing in the church. We've made far too many converts, which is great, right? It looks good on paper. Heaven rejoices. But what did he tell us to do? Go and make what? Right. And, and, and what, what my goal is for today is to call you guys higher to the cost. Paul says that everything is worthless compared to the value of simply knowing him. And I think that's what we've gone so disconnected from. But it's, it's, it's the value not of just knowing about him. It's, it's not the value of the ideology of Jesus. It's not the value of, of a history 
of Jesus. It's the value of knowing him. It's present tense. Knowing him now. Walking with him now. And I think the moment that we become aware of the worth of Jesus and the cost to fully follow him, spiritual apathy and complacency will start to break off. I think so many of our modern issues, not all of it, but so many of our modern issues is we've become too introspective. We've, we've become too, we're, we're like digging as deep as we possibly can inside which I think there's a healthy level of that. Therapy, counseling, it's, there's a healthy level of that. But we've, we've created this normalcy where I have to keep digging in and hoping something good comes out. <laughs> and Jesus is saying, hey, that part of you actually died on the cross. And we're trying to, to rehab a dead man. When he's actually given us a new man, So it's less about learning how to die, it's learning how to actually live now. And that's the new covenant, that we're given a new nature and a new man. And that nature is what we're having to get sanctified to become like him. Not our old man, right? We talked last Sunday, listen to it on our podcast, that you can't put a new wine in an, in an old wineskin, it will burst. And so this gospel of self where we're at the center, Jesus actually preaches the opposite. Matthew 16, 24, he says this, whoever wants to be my convert. No, it doesn't say that. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Number one, say deny themselves. Take up your cross. That's number two. Say, take up your cross. And number three, follow him. Say, follow him. We're not actually following him until the first two happen. You can be loved by him. You can be comforted by him, but not until we learn to actually deny the old man take up our cross, that we're able to actually follow him. Here's the thing, guys. I said this last week. Uh, God never changes, but he's also never stagnant. God's nature doesn't change, but he's always moving. Right? We're going from glory to even more glory. And if... There's that aspect in your relationship with Jesus where you just feel like you're stagnant. This is it. I think we, we feel stagnant. And I've known so many people, I've been there, where like, man, I'm just like not growing the Lord. I'm stagnant and I just feel so complacent and you just want someone to pray it out of you. It doesn't work like that. You can't pray out obedience.
is deny themselves, take up their cross, follow me. Does anyone know what the Moravian revival is? Does anyone know what the Moravians? The Moravian revival was in 1727. And the Moravians, they're pretty much like a denomination in, in Germany. And they led 100 years, this is actually crazy, 100 years of 24-hour prayer. And it led to the modern mission movement today in, in Protestantism. And in this movement, there were two young German missionaries who were from the Moravian uh, denomination. And a former slave by the name of Anthony Ulrich stirred the Moravian church in Germany into action to reach other slaves who would never had had a chance to hear the gospel. So two Moravians in their 20s heard of an island in the West Indies where an atheist British owner had two to 3,000 slaves. And what they did is they sold themselves into a lifetime of slavery to the British owner to be able to share the gospel to thousands of people who would never have had a chance to hear it. Their act inspired a wave of Moravian missionaries that greatly impacted the world. And for those who know this story, as they sailed away, the two men linked arms with friends, their family, seeing them. They say this out loud. They shouted, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. You don't do that because of religion. You do that because of love. You do that because you know how worth how worthy Jesus is that you're saying, I'm actually willing to deny my life to give it for the cause of him. Leonard Ravenhill, he says, this is what you're living for, worth Christ dying for. This isn't to bring guilt or shame, but this is to challenge you. This is to challenge us to pick up our cross, to carry daily. I love it. It says daily pick up your cross every day. Daily carry the thing that reminds you of what he died for so that you don't get too comfortable and too complacent. I'm going to end here in Romans 12.1. It says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, one that is holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So looking back at the story of the rich young ruler, guys, he had a worship moment. He had a moment of worship. But God doesn't call us to a worship moment. He calls us to worship life. That says that any moment I'm ready to lay my life on the altar, to love my neighbor, to sacrifice my pride, to be obedient to what God wants to do on the earth, to, to be obedient to the, the gospel and for the kingdom to be spread. It 
that he's calling us to a life that stays on the altar, a life that sees the surpassing value of Jesus and says, whatever you ask, I will give it up. A life that sees the cost and says, Jesus, I give you my yes. You want to feel stirred? Let's stand. Team, come back up. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, would you awaken our hearts to see your value? Awaken our hearts to see that you are so worthy. Awaken our hearts to see that you are so deserving so much more deserving for anything that we're holding on to. Jesus, you are so much more deserving than our secrets. You're so much more deserving of the hidden things. Jesus, you are so much more deserving of the pursuit of success. Because if you're not in it, it's not even success. It doesn't matter how big it is, how much money it makes. If you're not in it, it's not success. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take our eyes off of ourselves right now. Just feel someone just needs to hear this. Stop looking at yourself. Lord, bring order back into our heart where our priorities have become imbalanced. Our goals have become imbalanced. Our pursuits and our desires have become imbalanced. Lord, bring order back. Where it says that he's not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. 
But if you are lacking peace, there's, there's a lack of order, of priorities, of values. But Jesus, would you have preeminence again? Would you have superiority again in our hearts, in our minds? Jesus, we give you our yes. No matter the cost, no matter the sacrifice, we give you our yes. I want everyone in the room to ask the Lord, Lord, what is the limits of my obedience? Where is the line that I draw of obedience? Where does my obedience end? Not for shame, but for freedom. Where does my obedience end? And Lord, that thing, that line, I give you permission to erase it. And I see that you are so much more valuable than that thing. No matter how much it hurts to give up, no matter how much I want to keep it, Jesus, awaken me to the cost. Jesus, call your people out of apathy, of decades of apathy, of years of apathy, of months of apathy. And Jesus, would you make our heart burn once again for the things that burn in your heart. Let our heart long for the things that you long for in your heart. Let our desires be align with the things that you desire. Let us love what you love and learn to hate what you hate. Jesus, put the fear of the Lord into your people. Put the fear of the Lord back into your people. Holy Spirit, fill us with the fear of the Lord. Where we stay in the narrow road not teetering, not going off too far to the left or too far to the right, but walking in step and in step with you. May the lamb who is slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb that was slain, receive the reward of his suffering.